0: This audio is from Kings Cross Church in Independence, Missouri. For more information or to donate
1: to this ministry, visit kingscrosskc.com. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. That can be found on page 811 of the Bibles in your pew. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good
0: morning. How are you? Good. Good. So we just finished up a series in John, and now we're kind of in a segue between uh, that and Colossians, which will, will start pretty soon. But I want to talk about something real quick. Um, just thinking about worry and anxiety, what is it about worry and anxiety that gives people such a paralyzing feeling? If, if I could describe it, I would describe it this way, the experience of worry feels like the crushing weight of a boulder. It's overwhelming. And if you were to let go of it, it might land on your foot, or, or worse, the, the weightiness and the, the gravity weakening you—I just raised the roof may leave you flat on the ground, trapped under it. Now as you're, you're holding this boulder, there are a few people who, who pass by. And as these people pass by, they, they want to offer some advice, they want to offer some suggestions that they truly want to help and they have really good intentions, and and they're hoping to give you a few practical pieces of wisdom. They might sound similar to this. You have too many blessings to give so much attention to that rock. Well, you must have been put under that rock for a reason. You're never given a rock so big that you can't handle it. If you keep working hard, it'll be for a blessing. And then there's someone different who walks by. And this man, he he places his hand on your shoulder and whispers this, go ahead, drop it. But you can't, right? If you did, you would be careless. Foolish, even, maybe. This may sound remarkably similar to what you experience ordinarily in everyday life. And some of these things that were said by some of the, the strangers passing by might sound a whole like a lot like some things you've heard from other people, specifically in the church. And there are many in this room, including my, well, not including myself. Hang on a second. There are many in this room who are mothers <laughs> trying to... <laughs> see i told you i was trying to you know i was trying to set you up for it clearly not a mother this is going really good right (laughs) let's let's try that again okay so there are many in this room not me who are mothers trying to invest in their kids right with love and and with patience and then there's there's sports there's play dates uh, there 's recitals and, and dance and, and gymnastics, and then there 's the grocery trips in between and then some of you are doing that and also working full time on top of it, which, which is amazing to me for the record and attending to this this full schedule and there 's also men in this room you 're trying to make ends meet for your families you 're trying to make sure that they 're staying fed. And clothed and clean, and everybody's still in one piece, right? You're fighting off colds just to make it into work and, and to make ends meet and going long hours. You're pounding coffee on the way to work just so you don't fall asleep driving. And there's a still small voice who calls to you, who calls to you as you bear the cares and weight of the world the one who says, you can drop it, you can let go. The God-man Jesus brings to you good news. He says to us, do not be anxious about your life, but you know, it's really important to tell you both what this does mean and what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that worrying about the well-being of others is a sin. It does mean that it is possible to worry ourselves into a deep distrust of God making good on his promises. It doesn't mean for those who are, who are hurting and limping with anxiety and depression disorders that you just need to try more. And believe harder in God's providential care for you. And look, I'm sorry if anybody has ever told you to just do more. I'm sorry if you've received that kind of hurt. I struggle with you, truly. But it does mean that you'll often times feel like having to do a very unnatural trust fall into the arms of the Father. That is faith. It doesn't mean that your faith is weak if you're scared that the bills are going to keep you from putting food on the table. Jesus himself experienced fear and was troubled at heart many times in the New Testament, but it does mean that it is a lie that it would be God's intention to see you squirm and to give you serpents and scorpions instead of fish and eggs. Before we jump into this a little bit more, uh, would you pray with me, and then you can pray for me and I'll pray for you. Father, we come in together in this room as people with different professions, different likes and, and dislikes. Some of us alike politically, and some of us who share nothing in common politically. There are some of us who are walking in ready to receive what you have to say, and perhaps others of us who are feeling skeptical, wondering if today they would even walk through the doors, unsure of what you're doing, why you are working the way that you are in their lives. But the most important thing is that you've brought myself, and the rest of us together in our common need for the saving power of your Son, Jesus? Would you help me realize how greatly I need you and my own tendency to wander from your great providence and care? I'm asking that you would use my weakness, that you would use our weaknesses of the body of Christ to encourage us and lift us up together in the great cause of our desire to be found in your son Jesus. Would your word be illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would it be clear what you want to do today in this room, in our souls, in our minds, to renew us with strength and to renew us with an understanding of your care and your providence? So we ask this all in Christ's holy and precious name amen so god wants us to know quite a few things about worry but what i want to do is i want to go little by little i want to give you everything all at the same time because i want you to be able to take a bite of god's wisdom like morsel by morsel and for what he's he's dishing up for us in this passage so but first, I want to set up um, some historical background, too. So this, as, as you probably notice, is a segment of the Sermon on the Mount. But as a whole, it was given in Jesus' cultural context. And Jesus is presented as a prophet exactly as the prophets are presented in the Old Testament. The Scriptures are setting that up for us purposely. That's what Matthew is doing. He is... Calling people, Jesus is calling people to reconsider who God is and what he desires for humanity. The message is ultimately about God as a father who notices the the heart. He's not concerned with with acts of external righteousness or with playing religion. He's concerned with what's taking place inside. The other context is that Jesus is giving this sermon in in the world where Greek and, and Roman philosophy was prevailing in the day. So he isn't only being viewed as this prophet, but really like as a sage. He's speaking the language of the philosophers of the day as to get to the world to journey toward the beatific vision of the Christian life. He's ushering in the wisdom of God and calling people to to reorient their lives according to this divine Trinitarian vision of the world. So here's the first thing you should know. God's creation is the remedy against worry. Jesus speaks of the birds before the disciples in nature and telling them, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Paul echoes what Jesus was wanting the disciples to see, and specifically in Romans one twenty, that his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made." Now, of course, birds don't simply just open their beaks and and food falls in, right? They soar across the land and and keep an eye open as as they hunt, and what is not being communicated is that effort is pointless or that it's fruitless. And and maybe you've seen a wren before, they're tiny, tiny little birds, so small. And they really don't live that long, like seven years. That's it. That's all. D.A. Carson writes about how, how God is fully and entirely sovereign over the universe. That even something that is hardly on our minds, I don't know about you, I don't often think about wrens. It's not something that crosses my mind. I don't look outside and I'm like, oh, I'm looking for wrens. It's always on God's mind, though. It's always a concern of his. It's part of his activity to see that even those tiny birds who have a super small existence are fed. They work, they go about their day, then they eat, and then they continue to eat, and they do the same thing all over again. Not a thing crosses their minds. It never crosses their minds that they're not going to get fed, and they're not going to get the food they need, which sounds really nice, doesn't it? we think about it, don't we? Quite obviously, looking back to what Paul is saying in Romans 1, what we must understand is that we need not fret, though. We need not fret for what is already God's and belongs to Him, that He already has in His hand, and what He already possesses by His divine power, what He already possesses by grace. Worry is, it's blinding, right? It refuses to see the lesson that nature is teaching us every moment. And this worry, it can be so strong that even uh, medical experts, they've concluded that the anxiety brought on by worry is so powerful that it's it's resulted in in coronary complications, it's uh, it's caused and does cause stomach ulcers. And this is why it's been said, interestingly, the gut is the, the body's second brain, your second brain. And so Matthew records in verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to this span of life? Jesus is not saying that your life is going to get any easier. He hasn't given us the promise that life isn't going to hurt and that we're never going to encounter sorrow. He isn't giving us silly platitudes and and shallow advice either. There's a reason why people all the time are moving out uh, to the far country, like in, in Colorado and in Montana and, and places of that sort. And it's because they're, they're trying to experience something bigger than themselves. That's exactly why Christian retreat centers and, and monasteries are out in the wilderness and not on 39th Street, Midtown, Kansas City by a coffee shop. Through the megaphone of God's Creation, God's message is that when it comes to the span of your life, you are no different than the birds in this regard. If they were to worry, their food would just come just the same, and the span of their lives would remain unchanged. So, Christian, hear what Jesus is saying. Are you fearful? Look at creation. Do you wonder if God cares? Look at creation you doubt God's love for you in all your experiences of sorrow? Look at creation, you'll see God's love. The the command to not be anxious about your life isn't about separating the Sermon on the Mountain to, to just law or gospel categories. It's Jesus's invitation to wholehearted dependence on His wisdom. It is Jesus inviting us into the kingdom now and for the age to come. And if we look at verse 28, the second piece of wisdom that God wants us to know about worry and provision is God's people are the most valued in creation. Jesus asks for his hearers to consider the lilies in the field who have no anxiousness. He describes their growth in verse 28, pointing out how special it is, saying they neither toil nor spin. And so continuing this thought, he recognizes something unique about the lilies. Besides that, he says in verse 29, "'Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you O you of little faith? And so in Palestine, uh, a location that Jesus is very much familiar with, the lilies of the field uh, were usually something like scarlet poppies or anemones, they're they're just wild flowers that would grow, and they bloomed for only a day on hillsides, just one day. But in their brief time of bloom in life, they were clothed with so much beauty. They just have so many different colors, just white and red and purple and blue. They're, like, they're just gorgeous, in which Jesus is saying are far more beautiful and majestic than even the robes of the earth's most royal kings. And then they died, and their best use was for burning after that. The the Palestinians, they used an oven that was a clay box, okay? And that clay box, it was set on bricks over a fire. And when they wanted to raise the temperature of the oven really quickly, the baker would take uh, handfuls of dried grass and and these flowers, these lilies that we're talking about, and then they would just fling them inside of the oven, uh, causing the fire to rise really quickly. That's why they did it, to get the oven hotter. And so there's a pattern here though, do you see it? God sees value much differently than you and I do. God has created and cares for you, which has only a blip of an existence. Like James talks about, life is a mist, so just like the lilies, that spoil and, and spoil, toil and spin, and, and just like the birds who have a short existence. He's not generous for selfish gain, nor because it appeases human sensibilities. Jonathan Edwards says that inner goodness and in true religion comes from the sight of the beauty of Christ. The greatest gift that God has given us is Himself. And listen, you don't have to try and control God by your obedience and hopes that it will get you what you need in life. Your obedience becomes the sign and seal of your belief that God is in control, which is a result of God's faithfulness. If, if we knew beforehand what we have all been through in this life thus far, we would never think that we would come through it on the other side. If someone told us about it, we would deem all of our sufferings, all of our trials as absolutely impossible. I know that there are many people in this room who have lived to bear the unbearable, and people who are bearing it now. People who have passed through the breaking and whom God has caused to persevere. To be comforted by God's care and God's providence is to look back, to look back at the memories of all that God has done in the past. Jesus restates his command again in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. God's kingdom is a promised identity. The kingdom of God marks people as participants in God's future grace, not ours. In God's future grace, in God's providence, in His sovereignty, future grace for anyone who seeks God and His kingdom before all else. He, he promises to always meet with His people. And this isn't the kind of promise that means that if, if one shows devotion first, then the provision is given. Nor is it a have the kingdom all figured out kind of promise. It isn't a happy-go-lucky optimism that is being tired that ignores your bodily or mental health. No, it's nothing like that. Seeking the kingdom of God is a surrender of the heart to the four most pursue love of the king and abide in his presence it is a message to those who are in discipleship to jesus to go further up and to go further in to the goal of putting the first things of the kingdom first and that god he will take care of the rest the kingdom is jesus's advancement and push back against the darkness His big plan is not an elaborate battle plan. It's actually more like an art form that comes across simply, though it's not always so simple. Again, here's the pattern. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like, what Jesus is saying at the end of this verse is that life, honestly, can just be really terrible sometimes. He's basically saying, hey, life really sucks sometimes. It's really hard. The Son of God is saying this. I'm not saying this to be crass, because this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He says it himself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And the order in which he says this is not a coincidence— Prior to this verse, in verses 31 and 32, it says your heavenly Father will provide everything that you need. So remember the pattern, God gives his care even to the smallest part of his world. And and what's really interesting, what Jesus is doing in this sermon is he's taking a saying that the Jewish people had used, and he's using it as a launch pad to focus the disciples' attention on the kingdom of God. And here's how the saying went, "'Do not worry over tomorrow's evils, "'for you know not what today will bring forth. "'Perhaps tomorrow you will not be alive, "'and you will have worried for a world "'which will not be yours.'" And this is is what I wanna close with here. I think tomorrow's evils could cover a lot of ground. Am I right? If you're a teacher, grading the papers of students might be tomorrow's evils. Entertaining visitors in your house you may not be expecting. Brushing your kid's hair after bath time. And this one might sting a little bit, but I'm just going to be real about it. Sometimes going to an equip or discipleship group. Let's be honest, there are times you don't want to go. But viewed... Through the kingdom lens. It is the the overcoming of the gremlins of our ordinary grind that we learn the easy yoke of Jesus. That we learn to be his disciples. As weak as we may feel. It is gazing at God's creation before us. It is God healing the wounds of our gospel amnesia. It is remembering over and over again, and it's things like caring for our kids, brushing their hair, making sure they brush their teeth, the evils of tomorrow that act as vessels of God's care. The teacher thoughtfully grading papers can be a bridge to kingdom impact, an impact on the student. Breaking bread across tables and sipping coffee and living rooms can be the moment that people share in their worries about their body, about their heart, and their material needs. This is the vision that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. God, we long for your comfort. Our experience is that we become so discouraged when we desire victory, but feel like failure is coming out on the other side. As those who sin and need a Savior, who worry and desire strength, would our longings for peace lead us to hunger and thirst after your righteousness? You promised that to whoever will come that you open wide your arms. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you empower us to come? Amen.